Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on! From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes reporting for duty here on a Sunday night for your early Monday delivery. Remember us, Europe and the UK and Oceania. We do this for you. And I guess some of the East Coasters as well. All right. On today's show, we're going to obviously cover some of the latest news that's out there. The fight night card that just took place in Las Vegas. Grasso versus Araujo. And we have a special interview with one of our favorites, John Anik, the UFC play-by-play commentator. Play-by-play man, whatever you want to call him. But literally the staple of UFC broadcasts, I feel like this guy has uh, raised the level of so many people that work around him, and I always hope the best for him because he's truly a genuinely nice guy. He actually lived in Vegas before he moved to Florida, so we kind of got to know him a little bit better a few years ago prior to him moving to Florida, but super nice guy, so excited to talk to him as well. All right, buckle up, Junkie Nation. It's Sunday, October 16th for your Monday, October 17th delivery. So it goes, we had that week off. And this past week, we had UFC fight night. And some bare knuckle. Uh, What did you think of, how did your body reset, I guess, is what I want to ask. Because it was cool to have all the major promotions off, like UFC, Bellator, PFL, One Championship, and Invicta. The ones that we kind of, those are the ones that we had to cover kind of close. And, you know, LFA, I mean, dude, so many took, you know, that week off last week. And then we came back slow, but I wanted to ask you, how how did it feel? I was still kind of off a little bit because uh, there was just so much going on outside of all that, that uh, in between fights with the UFC, it was tough to get me to come back for certain fights because you got Alabama and Tennessee slinging Mm -hmm. it back and forth. It was really, really hard for me to say, oh third down all right i gotta go back and and watch two fighters that i've never even heard of or something you know like but you got to do it because it's part of the job but uh there there have been many times in years before and maybe even weeks before where man it's hard to get me to to turn off a ufc fight to go and watch a little college football or or whatever and you know throwing baseball and all that it was rough man um it was rough coming back. I, I really, I forgot how much I enjoy uh, college football and you know baseball playoffs. Didn't really go my way, but it's still fun, man. It's still ridiculously fun to guess who's going to be rolling against who and what. So it was okay. It was it was a nice little comeback. Well, so a couple things here. One, I was harboring feelings of this sounds silly, but it's kind of accurate resentment a little bit of hey media and fans we don't need you zuckerberg's in the house and uh watch the fights you know when the pandemic hit the ufc was the only party in town so pretend all the other nightclubs closed and this was the only one that was open and whether it was like the music they played or the crowd or whatever, and let's just say for whatever reason, you're like, well, I don't know if I want to go there. Well, people came, and our club blew up. MMA blew up. We were on the map before everyone else. Well, not not before, but coming back from the pandemic. 
and that's cool and all, but major sports reminded us how something like Hey Media and fans don't bother coming. And not only the announcement, because it was followed up with, hey, the UFC and Meta have a deal having to do with virtual reality or whatever it's called. So we kind of get why they did it. But it was that little vibe, you know, of this is what it is. The secret's ours. Whether the guy rented it or not, you'll never find out. And on the heels of a few, the media is crazy. The media is dumb uh, or useless. Then, like you said, Tennessee and Alabama was sick. USC and Utah, that didn't go our way either. But that was sick. Seeing those, you know, one stadium. I know Tennessee's over 100,000. I can I can only imagine. We've been at the one in Utah. That's probably about a 75. And you could not see any of the field, man. Though Those were good reminders of MMA tight always keep your 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 game tight um because the other sports you know obviously have been back for a long time now and i think this happened to nascar a little bit i think it happened to occasionally golf or whatever but um you know you can get pulled in so many directions and 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 there's just so many forms of entertainment so many sports now for some people they just like face punching but so for someone like me, I, I can get pulled in different directions and, and I can get entertained by something. So if the fight, if the fight card doesn't have like name, star power, name value, I'm watching it. But guess what goes now? I may mute that fight. Right. Watch the fourth quarter of the game. Whereas before the MMA fights were always with the volume up. And the football was down, you know, once we started covering the sport. Mm-hmm. And I know some people might go, hey, fool, it's your job. Well, you know what? It kind of is and it isn't. And you have to trust us that after 3,300 shows in 15 years, we're not going to necessarily dive in to the first few fights of the fight card. Nobody wants to hear that. You know, they kind of mm-hmm. want to hear the main stuff, our reactions to the main stuff. You don't click on it. You you don't uh, you fans or whoever's listening right now you guys don't click on the first fights. If we write a story with the the fighters that were involved in the first fight, it's just not going to click the way the way you guys click on anything that we put up that has Conor McGregor. Even as much as you guys joke around, Jake Paul. If we put Jake Paul sneezed at the press conference, it'll do more hits than if we wrote a story on the first fight of the night. That's just the way it is. It's unfortunate. But it is it is what it oh my god, did I almost say it? And um You almost let you know, it go. Yeah. And and the problem is it's many fight promotions now. It's not just the UFC card every week, like there's other fight promotions and what it came down to for me, honestly, sorry to cut you off, George, but it came down to this is the the fight that I'm watching right now, what does it mean? What comes out of this? Okay. Because on the other TV, I have number one and number three going at it. And trust me, if one of them loses, there's going to be repercussions. Something's going to come out of this. Mm. That's what made me change the channel. Yeah, exactly. So when I tell you, like I want to tell you right now, P. Rodriguez defeated Mike Jackson. I was rooting for Mike Jackson. I've always liked Mike Jackson. People were tweeting, why is he still there? Well, he signed a contract. He was one and one going into this fight, and I guess he uh, he hadn't been cut, so they probably want to finish out a contract or who knows what. But he fought Tetsuro Tyra versus CJ Vergara. Hey, I want Tyra to be the first Japanese athlete to win a flyweight title someday or or just compete. It's in, it's always interesting when you have great combat sports athletes from Japan or any of the other Asian countries. So in this in this specific case, it's Japan. I'm watching that. Piera Rodriguez versus Sam Hughes. Meh, pretty interesting, you know. But, again, we're talking about probably top 30 gals, maybe, if we're lucky, you know. Um, Joe Henderson Brito. I like him, actually, versus Lucas Alexander. So, again, now the volume is starting to switch. I'm pausing the DVR, you know, and then I can catch up on a commercial. Things start changing a little bit. I thought Jacob Malkoon as an underdog had a shot to win. He proved me right. He won. 
Leo Mama. I'm sorry, that's Mana Martinez versus Brandon Davis. Cool, cool. Martinez hits hard. I know that you always want to, you know, pay attention. And then Alonzo Minifield versus Misha Serkinov. You know, that's that's kind of where things started to shift a little bit for me. But even then, man, like this is me being a hardcore and a junkie. I could see a lot of people going, just tell me when Grasso and Arauhu are fighting, you know, and and that's it. But uh yeah, like people are gonna notice the difference this week because 280, UFC 280 is insane, and I'm glad we finally get to turn the page. So let me just say a few other things here. Rafael Asunsa defeated Victor Henry. I was into it. WEC, never die. Um, Dusko Todorovic versus Jordan Wright, the Beverly Hills Hillbilly or whatever he's called, Ninja. Um, boy, both both those guys were exhausted. Jonathan Mater- Martinez against Cub Swanson. I'm into it because of Swanson, but I come out of it as a fan of Martinez, you know, and that's due to Swanson, the blood, sweat, and tears that Swanson's put into the sport. He was willing to take this fight at 35. I've seen Martinez fight before, but now I kind of have an idea of just how good he is. Finished him with leg kicks for crying out loud. That was pretty amazing. And then, of course, Alexa Grasso versus Viviana Araujo. I, I can't believe how well Grasso has done since moving up to flyweight. Now she's 4-0. Um, the bonuses went to Todorovic and Jordan Wright for being exhausted <laughs> and thereby basically swanging and banging, slanging and swanging and banging or whatever Derek Lewis says. Uh, Jonathan Martinez and Tatsuro, Tatsuro Tyra were the performances of the night. And that was your UFC fight night card. It was labeled UFC on ESPN plus 70, UFC Vegas 62, UFC fight night 212. Uh, any thoughts on the card? Any fights you want to go over? Any Anything? I mean, again, it wasn't the worst card ever. It wasn't the best. It's not water cooler on Monday, huh? No, it just wasn't. It was there. You know, you'd rather have it than not have it, I guess. But uh, there's just, I mean, I know we say this week after week, but there's so many new fighters, especially when you add in Dana White's contender series and all that, that um, you feel like you have more fights that are outside the top 15 than you do inside the top 15. Yeah. And, And what happens is if you have too many of those, it doesn't feel like the fights matter anymore. Right. So that, that's we're that's putting, the difficulty. We're not watching top twenty-five teams play each other. Right, right. Imagine showing up on a on a college game day weekend or whatever, and most of the games are are just teams outside the top twenty-five that are playing each other. But you're you know you might have one ranked team playing. Who who do we always bag on? Alcorn State or some stability? Appalachian State. State. <laughs> They've been pretty good this year, I think. <laughs> Yeah, so um, it makes it difficult, but it's not the worst thing either. Yeah, and you know, some of these people got smashed on Saturday, and I'm wondering as you're talking, are we also watching, okay, you know how they whittle them down to 64 teams by the time we get to Thursday, March Madness, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't number one usually favored over number 16 by like 33 and a half? Oh, yeah. And so you watch the first 15 because you can make the bet, that team comes out fired up, but then by the end, it's like 90 to 60. Oh, my God, are they going to cover the 33 and a half or 90 to 55 or whatever? That's what some of these fights felt like. So they can be interesting because of gambling early on in basketball because you can do the first to 10, first to 15 or something like that, or just the 33 and a half point spread. But here it's a winner and a loser. You could do the over under, I suppose. But for the most part, it's like, ah, like that's what it is, man. I'm not watching top 25 college basketball. You know, I'm not watching MLB playoffs. Like, I'm just watching Appalachian State, Alcorn State, getting trounced by Georgia or Alabama or Ohio State or USC or whatever. I want to watch USC versus Utah. I want to watch Tennessee uh, and Alabama. Alabama, like those games, you know. And so that's what that little time off allowed me to think about a little bit. So – Love the UFC. I'll be watching this weekend. We got a watch along on Saturday. Join us at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 Eastern for nine fights, four on the prelims, five on the main card, two title fights. Remember uh, what I said, 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. It's early because they're in Abu Dhabi, and uh, we're going to have a blast. But, yeah, I want cards like this one. 
And I wonder if that matters to the UFC. I wonder if ESPN tells the UFC these things. And th- dude, I don't even think Dana White shows up to some of these cards. Mm-hmm. He's not even as interested. Yeah. He, he didn't even show up to the Hall of Fame. Well, actually, he didn't show up to UFC 276. I don't yeah. care if you have a vacation or not. You don't miss the Hall of Fame. <laughs> I know, man. And, and title fights? I mean, those guys want you to put the belt. Like, if if Cannoneer had beaten um, Izzy, or if the Korean Zombie... No, sorry, it was Max. Uh, Max versus Volkanovski, right? Mm-hmm. If Max had beaten Volkanovski... Well, Max has already been through it, but Cannoneer is a better example. He wants Dana White to wrap the thing around his waist. No offense to Mick Maynard, Sean Shelby, or anyone else, but that's just kind of part of you know what this all what this is. But I've already said my piece on that. Um, this is the card, and I think we can put it to bed and focus on this week. However, before we do that, we do have a guest lined up here, John Anik, the play-by-play guy for the UFC for the past ten years or so now. First starting out with uh, Florian and and Brian Stan, and now that great trio of commentators that is Anik, Rogan, and Cormier. Although Rogan won't be there, he doesn't travel you know overseas for the the pay per views for uh, that are overseas. But what a great guy! I'm excited to talk to him. Be right back. going on junkie nation gorgeous george and goes are back with another superstar from the sport of mixed martial arts today we get to talk to the ufc play-by-play commentator john and a good friend of the show what's up john how are you oh it's great to be with you you see goes and i color coordinated so we're already uh off on the proverbial right foot but it's always good to catch up with you boys especially in advance of a fight card that uh is probably as good as any we can put on paper at least so it's always good to see your faces fellas stacked isn't it ufc 280 Holy cow. I mean, it, you know, you got all these main events sort of rolled up into a fight card. And I think for those people who would like to see us maybe do 32 shows instead of 42 shows a year, if we shave 10 off, a lot more cards would look like this. But um, I'm not complaining about the work and uh, excited to get to Abu Dhabi, where a lot of us have been several times. This will be the shortest trip for us. I think a lot of us who were there on Fight Island, we were there in quarantine. This is like in and out. I'm leaving Tuesday. I might as well be going to Brazil. So we're, we're ready to go, boys. We've talked to you about a couple dozen times. And so I want to mix in a few questions that come from the fan side as well. So let's just start off with this. Oftentimes when we talk to fighters, we say, hey, man, uh, what's your routine like, you know, to deal with the jet lag and the time difference and all that? And, of course, I think what we've come down to with the athletes is one day uh, per however many time zones they're moving, right? Now, how about for you, John? I mean, you're doing a live event. A lot of people underrate what we do, you know, whether it's live or, or, or whatever. Um, you got to be on. And obviously, you want to be at, at your optimal. So wh- what is it for the commentator, especially someone who kind of writes the book on these things? Well, you can only control what you can control. So there are going to be times where you try to get ahead of the jet lag, whether it's with exercise or with preparation, leaning into the sleep, even if you have to take a nap and that's not your traditional habit but sometimes it'll just mess with you you know crossing a bunch of time zones is just not good for the human body and i probably have more experience doing that than most having gone to brazil 27 times and going miami to vegas essentially every other week for the last two years so i try to obviously get a sweat i try to prioritize sleep i try to get ahead of the preparation i try to nutritionally maybe eat a little bit better than I would be eating when I'm at home. But it kind of is what it is. You know, mentally, I think whether you're an athlete or you're a commentator or somebody who has to perform under whatever lights, you got to sort of deal with the circumstances. You know, rarely, if ever, are you going to be 100% as an athlete. You know, I guess we're probably closer to 100%, but I can sit here 11 years in and tell you boys we've never had a perfect show. That's the goal for UFC 280 and... uh, that's why I'm going to prioritize sleep once again. But it doesn't mean I'm going to get it. Like a lot of these people lean into sleep aids. I don't really like to take anything because I think it's going to mess with my mind. So, um, you know, I just got to sort of bite the bullet if I can't get the shut eye. Define what would be the perfect show. I'm curious. 
Well, I don't know that it's possible, honestly, over eight hours. I mean, if you're really looking for a no-hitter, George, in terms of never flubbing, that's never going to happen. But no, I think a show where uh, where all the fighters and coaches or fans are happy after the fact, our bosses are happy after the fact, and um, you know there haven't been myriad utterances that you would like to take back. But it sounds trite to say you're your own harshest critic, but certainly... Um, However many years in, I still cringe sometimes when I watch it back. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of those would make for a close-to-perfect show, but I feel pretty convicted in saying we will never have a, a no-hitter. Hopefully we can trade in cringe for maybe just I get a, a giggle at myself or whatever because from our end, we're seeing, you know, a lot of greatness, man, especially the team of you, Rogan, and DC. You guys have really dialed it in. But a shout-out to the other guys, Bisping, Felder. I mean, if it's a, if it's a pitching staff, you guys got one hell of a pitching staff, not just like an ace. You know, I mean, you got a closer and everything. But all right, sticking with the baseball analogies, how close have you been to this no-no that you that we're kind of joking around about, where you maybe have had such a great broadcast and then at the end something bothered you, something you said or something that happened that we may have missed? Well, I would say to you guys, right, you have to learn to tolerate the sound of your own voice and yourself, and you have to lean into constructively criticizing yourself and giving yourself feedback. Like we are almost 400 episodes into our podcast and Kenny Florian has probably never watched an episode back. So if my man Ken Flo's listening, right? Obviously I feel it to be hugely beneficial to actually watch yourself back. But no, you know, when Khabib Nurmagomedov and Conor McGregor fought and then there was the ensuing brawl, you know, I got a call from Daniel Cormier after the fight that essentially intimated that you know, I had done Khabib dirty, or oh, you and Dom did Khabib dirty when it came to the brawl. I didn't know what he was talking about at the time. And still to this day, I think it's probably a little bit murky. But that was something after the fact where I was like, whoa, I got to go listen to the tape. And perhaps, you know, DC was upset with the fact that I sort of insinuated that I was expectant that the fight was not going to end when the fight ended and that there was going to be some aftermath. But um, that comes to mind, at least. And uh, yeah, I think there are just randomly times where you say things that you don't even necessarily recognize. I had one recently um, where I, I dropped the word testicles when I just was sort of passionate about a fence grab. And then obviously my family was like, dude, like, what are you doing? And I actually thought that saying testicles was like softening the word balls in the moment. Heretofore, you'll probably never hear me say either, but I thought there was a fence grab that sort of maybe needed a little bit more flamboyance on the broadcast and um, probably would take that one back, George. I'll have to go back and listen to it and see what DC's talking about. Um, now you got me curious. That was one of the uh, eh, sadder you know, uh, events of a, of a pay-per-view that could ever happen, but at the same time, on a fight night, geez, like uh, I, I can't say I wasn't into it. But <laughs> let me pivot to something here because I did want to ask you this at some point here, and it's do you – would you say that the commentators, not nightmare, but the scenarios where there are stuff that involves the rules that can be consistent or inconsistent or according to how some refs handle it, you know, a kick to the testicles or, or uh, an eye poke. Um, that's one thing that I've wondered on your guys's end. Are you guys reaching out to commissions and saying, hey, help us a little? Sometimes it can be amateur hour for not just – you guys, but I think all of us, all of us are tweeting, thinking we know the rules, but we, we, we may not, you know, necessarily, or we may have not brushed up on it enough. Do you ever feel that way that it, it's kind of like all of us at the same time, the people that are tweeting, the people that are talking about it, the people that are handling, you know, what should happen? I, I seen at Bellator the other day, uh, one ref telling the doctor, what do you think? Well, it's up to you. You know, like, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. No, I think you set it up beautifully. I think every commission is different. And to whatever degree, I do think you have commissioners and commentators that like to puff out their chest, whether it's that they don't get a UFC or a mixed martial arts live event for a long time. So they, you know, want to start um, pulling their testicles out, if you will, or a commentator who knows the rules to such an extent that they're excited for there to be something involving a rule so they can try to puff out their chest. You know, we like to joke, hey, I wonder if my man Rob Monroe the cut man is actually rooting for a deep cut. But Ray Longo, who's been on my podcast every episode for seven years, likes to say there's a little bit of a kangaroo court going on. And certainly when we are under the guise of the Nevada State Athletic Commission, that is when I am at my most confident as a commentator because I know that commission intimately. I know that they employ the best. And I know that 
you know, even if I have a question mid-broadcast, I have a truck full of producers, a capable commission, and of course UFC fighters to my immediate right. But yes, in terms of the totality of all of us sort of learning on the fly and continuing to learn, as I sit here late 2022, I've never felt more confident about my handle of the rules and the scoring than I do right now. But there's certainly people out there whose opinion I solicit after every show, whether it's Sean Sheehan for scoring or somebody else for refereeing, like a Mark Goddard type. So, um, yeah, I mean, I am still learning as far as my evolution as a mixed martial arts commentator, to be sure. And you will never hear me puff out my chest because uh, there's a lot of ignorance out there. I'm just trying to minimize how much of it I have. <laughs> nice shout-out to Sean Sheehan. And let's not forget in Vegas, you also have – Hall of Famer, Mark Ratner, not too far away. Uh, that's always a nice resource, isn't it? Well, and part of the reason why I'm a little bit ornery when I see a fence grab is because he's my number one go-to, and he says, don't forget, Johnny, first warning comes in the back, right? Yeah. So yeah. first fence grab warning essentially is in the back. Man, this is great stuff. And it's not just our sport, folks. I see it in the NFL as well. You know, you'll see the, the, the guy will be under the hood for two minutes. He's discussed it with the other guys. All those people are full-time employees of the NFL. They know the rule book inside and out. And even then they'll say, okay, you know, uh, it's a hold, it's a this, it's a that. And then the guy upstairs who's an expert who also did it for 15 or 20 years, he says, well, that's not the way I would have done it. So it happens in all the sport. And perhaps we're not all aligned on every individual fence grab. Like I have since sort of talked to Randy Brown about it over social media and it's a public conversation and perhaps it was an overreaction by me, but I think a lot of us are sort of at odds with some of the things that are wrapped into our sport in terms of fouls and some of the regulations and decisions in these big time moments, right? When one takedown potentially prevented by a fence grab could have changed the outcome of a fight. Now, Randy, my man, Rude Boy, I'm not saying that that's the case in this instance, but, you know, I don't know what the masses necessarily think should be done in a situation like that. I do know when I got off the air that night, a lot of people felt like the fence grab was pretty blatant. So, At the end of the day, though, you do go to bed and lay your head down uh, on the pillow at peace with the job that you do. And I, I hope you do. Yes, no doubt about it. And... I feel like I am a byproduct of my repetitions. You know, I'm 44 years old right now and I can look back and say, hey, I've got 20 years in the business. So, um, you know, I guess I'm doing something right. But yeah, I mean, I've always tried to lean into the hard work. I, I have acknowledged in my 40s that, you know, I have some orating ability to whatever degree. But yeah, we're satisfied. We're always trying to get better. I treat every fight night like a pay-per-view though. And so do our analysts, right? 26, 28, 30 athletes, whatever it may be, um, the task is still the same. And, um, you know, the devil that it is at times, it's the devil we know and it's a labor of love. And uh, as long as the fighters are happy and the coaches to a little bit of a lesser degree than the fighters are happy, largely they are who I care about. And their families, right? Because this is a, the soundtrack of their professional lives. John, not only the rep repetition, but your reputation as well should be, should be something that should be lauded about what we were talking about that you know the peace and the calm that you do have once you're done you've given them all you've given them everything man your passion your heart the preparation i think every athlete should uh hopefully is appreciative of that well and i think thank you and it means a lot coming from you guys and certainly i'm trying to earn the respect of every single member of this roster so when there is a situation like francisco trinaldo and randy brown i've established enough goodwill with randy that it's really not a big deal, right? And you can only sort of hope for that, that you call it down the middle. And I root for all of these men and women to some degree, right? Like having now witnessed, as you guys have, Randy's whole UFC career, you know, it's pretty exciting to see what's going on. So it's hard not to have a little bit of a rooting interest, but um, I got to call it like I see it. John, athletes will tell us, hey, cutting that last pound's miserable. Cutting that last half pound can be 30 minutes. All right. How about as a commentator, what's the difference between 24 athletes who got to hear your call of a fight versus 30 athletes? So for those that are in public school, that's 12 fights or 15 fights. What's the difference, man? As they progress, does it get harder or harder? Or, or, or once you hit your stride, it don't matter. Could they give you 18 if they wanted to? Well, I mean, I'll show up and do the work. Obviously, they have capped it, I think, at 15 or maybe even 16. It's the same amount of live television, essentially, but 
I can't even profess to you guys enough how much more manageable a live event task it is for a play-by-play commentator when it's 24 athletes versus 30 athletes, right? Even if you're just devoting an hour to each athlete, that's six hours right there. You can accomplish a lot and time is money. So yes, for me, I get anxiety when I look at UFC 280 in front of me, nine prelims. You know, we sit here eight days out and I'm knee deep in the preparation. I voiced most of the show today, at least in terms of the in arena stuff that you will hear. We got a doozy in terms of the pronunciations for UFC 280. But yeah, my man, I mean, I think when I started, it was traditionally nine or 10 fights and now the norm is 14 or 15. It's a beast, man. Give me, give me 11 or 12 in the wheelhouse every day of the week, uh, Sean and Mick, if, if you happen to be watching. And then they call you to the host desk after a pay-per-view and I'm like, let this guy like eat some Wheaties or something like. And honestly, you're keeping it cool. You're sitting there, you know. You're addressing everyone by their name and giving it your all, like you always do. You always give it your all. Your all. You're never half-assing it. But tell me, in your mind, you got to be thinking like about waffles and chicken or or, or the pasta you're gonna smash. Or oh yeah. That's a no, and I give you. And this is after the weigh-ins. You do the whole weigh-ins. Sometimes you, you sub in for Joe, you know, I mean, holy cow. Well, hey, I appreciate you laying it out for your wide audience. And certainly I think that my producers and my bosses are appreciative of the grind and everything that is asked of me to execute on a show by show basis. But, uh, you know, I do think that you sort of become conditioned to whatever your reality is. And that is my reality, whether it's, you know, living in the dry heat of Nevada, you become acclimated or now for me living in the humidity of Florida, you adjust. The post-fight show, certainly when Chael Sonnen is up there, um, Chael's like a PED for me in terms of his energy, so it's easy easy to elevate. But yeah, I mean, I guess for me, like to be able to decompress and be in that analyst role and to go up and do the post-fight show, even when I'm toast, it's sort of enjoyable for me. But yeah, I mean, if you're asking, I'm thinking about fried food and chicken and waffles and cheeseburgers and, and everything else. And, uh, like, and you like can be sure. To unload the luggage as well after he flew the plane. Yeah, you can be sure that uh, within 45 minutes of getting off the air, I'm probably four or five pounds heavier. So, John, I too am 44 years old. So hopefully you're going to relate to what I'm about to talk about. In your job, do you ever feel any pressure to relate to this new audience that has grown up, right? A lot of our jokes and our examples don't make much sense anymore, right? Somebody's lip syncing, who's Millie Vanilli? They're going to sit there and say, do you ever feel any pressure to kind of relate to this new audience? You know, you continue to lead the league in thoughtful questions. And obviously, as the father of two girls and a boy, but my daughters are 11 and 9, and they don't have social media, they don't have TikTok, neither does their father. Certainly, I have been compelled by many people, including people who represent me, to get into the TikTok game, just as an example in this conversation. And I have been very reluctant to do that. You know, Cruzy tried to, Dominic Cruz tried to get me on Snapchat for years, and as yet, I have still resisted that temptation. And it's actually not even a temptation. I've never really worried too much about that. Candidly, for me, I've never been great when it comes to pop cultural references. When we show the celebrities on pay-per-view, that is probably the height of my anxiety. I'm much more comfortable when we show fighters or we are calling the action. All of a sudden, you start to show movie stars. I don't know who any of these people are. So I feel like I'm relatable to whatever degree. I feel like wearing a baseball cap and a T-shirt, I've always sort of tried to... um, you know, think of myself as a kid and still call people kid and still fancy myself as such. Um, but not until getting asked this question do I feel even a modicum of pressure goes to relate to the younger generation. But if you need me to start cussing or uh, take my shirt off, I could probably do any of those things. <laughs> All right, let me ask you this. Have you practiced your finishing call for your first slap knockout? I love slap fighting, slap fighting championships. I am so compelled by it. It's also like professional wrestling. I'm not a professional wrestling fan. I would be ill-equipped to be a WWE commentator, but if I'm flipping, flipping through the channels, however rarely that happens, I can't stop watching professional wrestling. Slap fighting is like that times 10. I can't get enough of this stuff, but no, I mean, nobody's calling my number for that just yet, but certainly... I hope before my career is said and done to call an NFL football game and to call a slap fight. I think it's absolutely awesome. John, I want to pick your brain on something. Uh, Jimmy Smith, who's working with WWE, is no longer working with WWE. 
the differences between calling sports and like sports entertainment, WWE, it seems like you can be very talented and sometimes it just doesn't matter, right? Like look at Mauro Ranallo, right? His voice is attached to some of the most iconic moments in all of sports, but it just didn't work out over there at WWE. It didn't work out for, for Jimmy Smith and he's uber talented. What is this pressure that comes with uh, doing things outside? Like, why has it been kind of difficult for people who do sports to transition into calling uh, pro wrestling? Well, I think part of it is just that people have their choices and their vision and their people. And I think perhaps that was part of what led to Jimmy Smith's sort of unceremonious dismissal by the WWE. I certainly don't know a whole lot about it, but sometimes you can just be a victim of circumstance. You know, I happen to have a very demanding boss in UFC president Dana White, and I do believe that I respond to his type of leadership. And I am trying to run through a brick wall for the guy. I am trying to earn that seat every show. But I am not blind to the fact that if I have a string of bad shows, as I've said to you guys before, that I could find myself looking for work. There are sports that I am not equipped to call. We've talked in the past about hockey. I don't have any historical framework for that sport, nor have I ever played it. I don't even necessarily know the terminology, but I feel like I could take a couple bong hits and drink six beers and go call a football game because that's the sport that I am probably most passionate about other than mixed martial arts. But I don't have a great thoughtful answer to you as to why it's been hard for other guys to maybe make the transition. For me, I came as sort of a mainstream sports guy trying to make the transition to combat sports. And while I have confidence in my ability to go back and do football, I understand that having not called a major football game since 2015, that I'd probably be up against it a little bit. Um, but I don't know, man. I do think that even if you get good direction and even if you execute a vision, sometimes you can just be a victim of circumstance. And it sounds like for Jimmy, that was a big part of it. You log a lot of miles flying throughout the world. Who needs a right to write a book that hasn't written a book yet? Gosh. Well, Dominic Cruz, to be sure. I know he's waiting to do that. You know, Daniel Cormier is pretty selective. I mean, we see him as somebody who that who is saturated. And I say that in the fondest of terms. But Daniel Cormier has turned down a lot of acting work. I mean, he could certainly write a book and have already had a sequel published, you know. So um, my first instinct is my broadcast partners, you know, Kenny Florian might have had a, a book back in the day, um, but he fell off a cliff and, and nearly lost his life. And so that to me, if that's the Kenny Florian autobiography, like that's the lead. Literally, I have seen people recently who watched him fall um, and thought he fell to his death. So uh yeah, I'm glad Ratner got the book out of the way. Brian Stan obviously needs to update his, and uh, maybe you guys. You know, my grandfather said to me before he passed that if I just got on my computer and wrote two to three sentences about my every day, this was when I was on the radio in Boston, I think in 2003, that in 10 years I'd have a memoir. And imagine if I had been doing that for the last 20 years. But needless to say, I actually do have a document that I started. It's about a thousand pages, but um, I don't see a book in my future, guys. Yeah, it's funny you bring that up. Somebody brought that up to us years ago, and George kind of put things in perspective. And he said, well, I just don't feel like the ride is over yet, so why would I write it? And that kind of resonated with us. But I get why you're asking. You're having trouble falling asleep and you want a book to fall asleep to? That makes no, sense. well... Again, it's like, is my goal to have people buy the book or is the goal the content, right? And I could say the same about my podcast. You know, if you go, and again, if this sounds like a gratuitous plug for my podcast, so be it. But we've never been outwardly concerned with ratings. If you go to our YouTube channel, we don't have a lot of subscribers, nor do we have a lot of ratings. I'm focused on the content, you know, perhaps to the show's detriment. But eventually we'll get there. Anik and Florian podcast dropping on Mondays with the Longo Minute. Yes. So he's been on every single one, huh? Are, are close to? So I think we've done 368 shows. He's done 364. So, yeah. Wow. All right. That's pretty cool. Um, all right. So 280, Oliveira versus Makachev for the vacant title. Um, boy, it's, it's sad that it's that way because think about it. Oliveira could really – he really – should he win, This he should be looking at two additional title defenses. And when we talk about goats and, you know, the greatest of a, of a certain division or whatever, we have these arguments – Boy, those title defenses, that's what the hardcore seem to lean into, you know? But what a tragedy that it's not that. Now, Chucky Olives doesn't seem too bothered by it. He is still getting his pay-per-views. But 
talk about this fight, man. This is really, really, I think, in a, like, I, I think, uh, define Makashev for sure, because he hasn't fought anyone as high as Oliveira, like a number three or anything like that. And then for Olives, he will have pretty much addressed every single style out there, I think, the, uh, that can come at him. Yeah, again, I think you set it up well. I mean, title defenses are championship banners in a lot of respects. You know, that's why at times Israel Adesanya has taken issue with me and others who have suggested that when he beat Kelvin Gastelum in maybe the greatest fight that I've ever called, or at least the most exciting, given the back-and-forth nature of it, how is he not defending a belt in his next time out against Robert Whitaker? So he wants credit for that as a title defense. But you're right. I mean, that is sort of the number one criteria, right? And that's why John Jones could have 15 championship banners hanging in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I have been looking at different ways in terms of the phraseology to work around this vacant lightweight title because I don't necessarily see it as vacant and I think Charles has the right approach. You know, I think most of us boots on the ground are going to acknowledge him as the champion. I mean, he is certainly getting that red corner. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think history-wise, it's a little bit disappointing that this isn't a continuation of what he was able to do his last time out. But the magnitude of this fight is just absurd. I mean, it's just the perfect fight. It really seems like the perfect fight. And that's why even if I wasn't calling the fight, guys, I wouldn't get too predictive with my analysis because I can certainly see it going both ways. Now, most of my contemporaries, if I can call the pro fighters and my co-workers contemporaries, seem to like Islam and, and believe that he deserves the distinction as the favorite. But um, won't find me fading Charles Oliveira. I don't know why anybody would want to walk to a window and bet against that man right now against any other lightweight in the world. It's a fascinating fight. I don't expect it to go the distance. And, um, you know, I think MMA fans around the world are just going to be the better for it. I think they could fight twice with respect to Volkanovski and Daryush and everybody else. Gamrot, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating fight. I can't wait. I get anxious talking to you guys about it, so... Would it be almost fair to say that Oliveira is maybe the most exciting fighter uh, for you to call? Sure. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, certainly would be a guy that would be in that conversation. I think I referred to somebody else as that guy recently. But yeah, Charles obviously is cut from that cloth. And uh, again, it's hard to imagine or think of a fight that he's been involved in that, uh, that has not been entertaining. And the lightweight division has a lot of those guys really does. If you look at the top 10, I think more than any other division in terms of entertainment value, Lightweight's got it going on. Aljamain Sterling versus TJ Dillashaw. That's the co-main event. It's for the UFC Bantamweight title. Aljamain Sterling defending. TJ Dillashaw, the former uh, champ, he is the challenger. How crazy is this, man? I mean, both guys have stacked, stacked resumes, and now they're chirping, or they have been chirping, so it, does that actually add something a little extra when they are chirping for you, John, like personally and professionally? Oh, I love it. I love the heat as a fan, as a commentator. And by the way, the man I recently called the most exciting in MMA, I think, was Brandon Royval, who, uh, if I'm not mistaken, competes on October um, 15th. But yeah, this is as good as it gets, right? I mean, TJ Dillashaw brought a lot of what he's been through unto himself, but trying to become a three-time UFC Bantamweight champion, it doesn't seem to me like he has outwardly acknowledged the danger factor in this Aljamain Sterling fight. So I'm very curious to sit with TJ in Abu Dhabi behind closed doors and really hear where he's at in terms of what this Sterling challenge holds. Because as you guys know, Dominic Cruz is one of my best friends in the world. But objectively, when I look at the conversation for the greatest Bantamweight of all time, who is it other than Dom, right? TJ, it's a little bit hard to quantify because of, of his suspension. But what about Aljamain Sterling? I mean, what about what this guy has accomplished? Now, out the other side of the Piotr Jan rivalry, getting a chance to get a Dillashaw scalp on his resume. Aljamain Sterling has done a lot of things. This man has not lost a fight in a long time. I mean, the Corey Sanhagen win and the quick nature of it continues to age very gracefully. Aljamain Sterling is one of the best bantamweights of all time. He's strong as an ox in there at 135 pounds. I think you could argue he should be worth the minus 200 in this one. TJ is one of my favorite guys ever. And um, love that fight between TJ and Dom in Boston in 2016. TJ is a legend. Still for me, he is. And I'm excited for Aljo to have the chance to prove that he indeed is the goods. And as dangerous as most of us think Sterling is, chance to prove it against Dillashaw doesn't get better than that. Yeah, man, this one's really going to define one or the other because, yes, that talk about who's the greatest, you know, it's uh, 
all of them have a strong argument. And sticking with that same division, Peter Young, Peter Young, did I say that right? Peter Young uh, versus Sean O'Malley. Holy cow, like Sean O'Malley, he must have felt the heat. Hey, man, you know, you're fighting for contracts or position or you always want to be in Vegas. Boom, Peter Young, Peter Young in Abu Dhabi. Holy cow, did he just shove them all in or what? Well, O'Malley didn't bat an eye, and I'm not sure he has all that much to lose. I mean, certainly he could go out and get stapled in two minutes, and there's going to be a lot of noise from a majority, but those aren't the people that matter. You know, those aren't the people that are going to define Sean O'Malley's career if there's a setback. But I look at this top seven, and I think you can argue this is a, a pretty good matchup for Sean who is a willing grappler, but he's a striker, and so is Piotr Jan. Jan's wrestling is outstanding. We'll see how Jan chooses to proceed. I could also argue that it's a bad time to be fighting Piotr Jan, who in theory will be at the height of motivation. When Jan became the undisputed champion, there were talking heads like me suggesting that when he's on, he looks like he's going to go on to become the greatest bantamweight of all time, and then he couldn't get past that Sterling chapter. So how does he handle Sean O'Malley, who has five inches in length, a little bit less pronounced in terms of the leg reach, just two inches, I think it's a fascinating fight. I can understand why Sean Shelby was sort of convincing in getting Dana White on board with this fight. And uh, it's a great fight, huge opportunity for O'Malley and, uh, and Jan to prove that, uh, that he deserves to be back in a championship setting. So the card is stacked, folks. We could go on forever, but I want to be uh, cognizant of the time. My man here, John Anik, that he gives us always here on MMA Junkie Radio. Just a couple final things. Benil Dariush versus Matias Gamrat. That's a, that's a great fight. So we can put that one to the side. We don't have time right now to, to address it. But how, what's the latest you've heard in terms of the Volkanovski and Darius sweepstakes or who actually really steps in uh, in case one of the two uh, you know, isn't ready to fight for whatever reason? All right, so I have heard nothing. So I have gotten all my fighter cards together if you are watching as I get organized. And I did pull my Alexander Volkanovsky notes just in case I have to prep him on Yaz Island. I have not gotten word yet. If I was just a curious guy and maybe a gossip monger who wanted to go tell my twin brother it was legitimate, maybe I would email my boss, Zach Candido, and softly say, hey, should I be prepping Volkanovsky? At least right now, I haven't gotten word. I'm going to show up prepared, and maybe if 72 hours from now, things expire and I want to get curious, maybe I will. And it's time to generate an Alexander Volkanovsky fighter biography, but at this point in time, I have not gotten word, and... Um, I'm only preparing 28 athletes and not 29. Yeah. Well, Darius has won seven straight. Man, the poor guy. I felt like he, he could have possibly been fighting for this vacant title. Um, but he's taking on a tough, tough customer, Matias Gamrod. And then I, I hear Volkanovski. Like, on the one hand, I hear him. Like, this guy's chasing greatness. You know, he put the featherweight division on, on check. And then he breaks his hand or a bone in his hand, recovers from it and his thirst and his hunger to be one of the greats. Now he wants to be a champ champ. He's flying out there. He's kind of like, he's kind of calling the shots. Like, I, I respect that too. I don't know where I sit on this, but I guess because I'm a SoCaler, LA in the house, that my heart's a little bit on the Darius side with this one. Well, and I think in a, in a in meritocracy, Benil Darius would be the guy, but then you lose that fight potentially with Mataj Gamrod. And candidly, I don't, expect there to be any issue when it comes to Charles Oliveira and Islam Makasha. But when we talk about the Bantamweight GOAT, and again, if people don't want to have this conversation, that is fine, but that's a shorter conversation than the Featherweight GOAT, which is this three-headed monster of Jose Aldo, Max Holloway, and Alexander Volkanovsky. And I could write a 40-page thesis statement on all three shouting out their merits as to why they should be the guy. Max Holloway is actually the guy for me as I sit here right now, late 2022. So I can understand why Volkanovski wants to sort of separate from that pack and potentially chase a belt. Obviously, he's won like 20 consecutive fights and has put himself in a position where he's hard to deny that opportunity to become a double champion in an era where a lot of people have been afforded that opportunity. But doing it in a backup situation is unique. You know, coming off an injury, I don't know. I don't know that I think it's the perfect alignment for Volkanovski, but I do think eventually... He's going to get his opportunity to to chase lightweight greatness. The other thing, too, is that you have Yair Rodriguez and Josh Emmett lurking, not to mention Arnold Allen, who has accepted a fight against Calvin Cater. So the cupboard at 45 is not bare. Um, 
But I do think eventually Volkanovski is going to move up and see if he can, uh, you know, check that box. You're the man, John Anik. Thank you so much for chilling with us for over a half hour here on Junkie Radio. Probably could ask you a hundred other questions, but again, I know it's busy. You got the family, you got the prep, you got a huge trip coming up and an awesome show to call on October 22nd out in Abu Dhabi. Two title fights and all these fights that could legitimately be main events for fight nights. So uh, lucky, you know, to have this time with you again. Thank you. And, and we'll talk to you. Always enjoy it. Chopping it up with you guys. Somebody needs to tell Bilal Muhammad he's on the prelims. I'm not going to tell him, but somebody needs to tell him. So. <laughs> Oh, by the way, uh, Royville, he's not fighting tomorrow. It looks like Askarov missed weight, and they couldn't agree on a catch weight. So only bring it up just because you happen to bring up. Uh, wow. Yeah. Well, and there are a lot of fighters who try to get ahead of it. I don't know exactly what transpired this morning, but they'll say, just so you know, like if my dude at flyweight especially misses weight, right? Matt Schnell out, Sprez comes to mind. Like I'm not fighting the guy. So I'll be interested to uh, hop on Junkie after we dismiss and see what's going on. There you go. All right. We're out of here. Thanks, John. See you. Thank you, boys. Well, he delivered. We covered a lot, but always entertaining, always respectful, and just a top-notch professional. Yeah, John is such a good dude. And the thing is, like, I want to say there is a on-air John and then there's an off-air John, but they're really not too much different. But the the thing that's always tripping me out about John that I always wait, you know how um even the most professional person shows up to work late at least once or something, and when he does, he kind of throw it in his face. Dude, he is always prepared. Always doesn't matter how big how small the card is, he just does the work, man. And it's it's just this worth work ethic that's so amazing. And when you think about like who the people are at the top of that spectrum, you know, like. Mauro Ronaldo does his homework too, man. Pretty crazy. Even uh, even if you want to throw in like Bruce Buffer, like look what he goes through. Have you ever seen one of his cards and all the stuff he's writing down? Like, dude, if you just want if you want to be good at your job, you have to put the time in. And John Anik is a guy that will never complain, and he always puts the time in. Yeah, that uh, that sequence though when he does like. 15 fights, which I'm glad it cleared up that 12 is way easier than 15. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was like, all right, at this point, what's the difference? Um, but he made it sound like 12 fights is Shark Tank, you know, five fresh fighters, five minutes. But 15 fights was okay, Shark Tank. But guess what? We have a special guest, Francis Ngannou, who's going to be the last guy. Um, and then he has to go down there and go with the host, you know, and the analysts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when, when all he probably wants to do is take a long piss, throw some water on his face, eat, eat a wings. fucking hot dog, drink a beer, melt into his couch or get, or get this bed. damn suit off of me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we had a blast talking to John Anik. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that as well. So, again, another reminder, UFC 280 this Saturday, our watch-along with an adjusted start time because they're in Abu Dhabi where they're 11 hours ahead of us. So, normally, we go 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. This time, it's 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. I guess that doesn't translate in terms of the 11-hour time difference, but uh, they, must, they must be starting an hour later there or something. I don't know. But it's 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Well, no, no. Duh. That's for the uh, – I'm screwing this all up. 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. We'll be with you for nine fights, all right? Forget about it. Five of them will be pay-per-view. Forget about the time difference. All I know is that over there, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a show that's starting to, you know, for the, the fans out there. And it's a time-appropriate start time for them. And, and then we're making the adjustment over here. And it's a sick card, goes two title fights at the top. I'm sure we can discuss some of this on Thursday as well. But what are your early feelings as we turn the page? It's officially fight week, and it's probably the sickest card of the year. Yeah, man, I just wish <laughs> I wish they were all like this, dude. I mean, this, this is pretty legit. Two title fights is always great. But even, you know, when you go to Jan and, and O'Malley, it feels like a title fight. You know, because you have a former champion. You have somebody that's battling for respect right now. 
even that fight's fun. So it's like the, the whole night you, you have people like when we were talking about fights that matter, um, you have a lot of fighters where win or lose, it's going to make a difference here in this chase for the title. So I'm, I'm super down with this card. I'm so stoked. It's early morning, um, but we're going to be just as fired up as normal and join us for the watch along. I mean, it's going to be a lot of fun. We did the last one at the sticky Paws studio. We're going to be doing that again. And um, yeah, question is, what are we going to have to eat? Uh -huh. uh, that's right. It's breakfast time now, last right? Time was pizza, right? Italian food. Uh -huh. Yeah, this will be breakfast and or, or early lunch. But okay, so it's pretty clear to me that Aljo doesn't care if Peter Yan wins. But I think either way, he wants O'Malley to win because if they give O'Malley a title shot, that's a good pay-per-view night for Aljamain Sterling. So his preference is him and O'Malley to win their fights. Again, if Jan wins, he doesn't have to fight Jan again. He's already beaten him twice. One by the technical um, disqualification and then the other one a legitimate W that he, that he holds over him. Peter Jan is hoping that Dillashaw beats Aljo. Then that opens the doors up for him, him being a former champ and him being 0-2 against Aljo. That totally opens the door for him. What I'm curious about is for TJ, what's he hoping for? If he beats Aljo, now he's the guy that has the pay-per-views. Does he want a tough test like Jan, a former champion, to add to the resume? Because remember, sometimes he's referred to as the greatest man and weight of all time. Sometimes Dominic's referred to as the, as the greatest of all time. What does TJ want? The tougher matchup, I think, would be Peter Young, the more respectable one, unless, of course, O'Malley beats him. But O'Malley is chuching. That's the more lucrative one. I think deep down inside, especially after what TJ's been through in life, probably money is going to stick out. Getting that O'Malley fight, I think, would be a big deal. So, yeah, I would probably lean towards that. Here's another thing, too. Marab Davalishvili, who's number four in the USA Today Sports MMA Junkie Rankings, he's a homie of Aljamain Sterling. But if he ever wants to become champion, he needs Sterling out of the way. Now, that doesn't mean he's openly cheering against TJ Dillashaw. But let's just say TJ Dillashaw were to win and O'Malley were to lose or Jan or one of them, but they weren't ready to go for some reason, they may turn to Marab Davalishvili if they don't feel like Dillashaw versus Sterling is worth running back. I know I just said a lot, but did you follow? Damn. No, I'm still trying to follow. Say it again. So, Marab Davalishvili, he's the number four guy, but he's right. not going to fight Sterling. Right. So, in a way, I'm not saying Marab is cheering for Aljo to lose because he's cornering him, and that's his homie. But if he does, this may be the one time where he can jump in and get a title shot if they don't give Sterling a rematch. Yeah, that's where friendships get uh, really, really get tested, right? Because I think if you're Aljamain Sterling, you're happy that your friend is willing to set aside while you are while you have this title run. But I think it's a hell of a thing to ask him to, after you lose, still kind of stay out of the way. I don't think the UFC would give Aljamain a rematch. But uh, it'd be interesting to see how that friendship. Trust me, it, I, that ain't for show. You know what, Marab and and Aljo, that, that's real friendship, man. It, it seems like to me. So I don't think anybody's playing a role or anything like that. But at the same time, you can only ask so much out of your brother, right? Yeah. And then Corey Sandhagen, he's lost to both Dillashaw and Aljamain Sterling. But I'm sure he's got to have a feeling over which one he'd prefer. It might be Aljo, because with Aljo, you can go, man, I got caught early. I got caught early, but it'd be different this time. With TJ, the fight played out. Mm -hmm. um, Aldo's out of the way. You know, Marab took care of that. Marlon Vera is another guy that's going to be watching, you oh, know, yeah. really, really intensely to see how this thing plays out. He's got a win over O'Malley. He doesn't over Peter Yan because they've never fought, but he has a win over O'Malley. It's not going to so, matter, though. I know. I know, but O'Malley could win and get hurt, right? And so then True. maybe Vera could do some leapfrogging there. But this is why this division is popping like no other right now. It's a Grand yeah. Prix that was never announced as a Grand Prix. Exactly. 
And yes, I, I'm well aware of lightweights and all the stars, all the big stars that are there. Connor's the biggest star ever. I get it. Justin, Chandler, Poirier, Chuck Yolives, all those guys. But this, you know, a lot of them have already fought each other too. So we're kind of going on some round twos with those guys. Whereas the bantamweight, well, I guess a few of them have fought each other as well there. But you know, there's a good mixture of veterans and and young cats and lots of possibilities. But that that those two fights are amazing. But mm. Charles Oliveira is probably the one fighter that has me sitting on the edge of my seat because he's balls of the wall. Yeah. And he's still – that's what's so crazy about this card, man. Like, when you look at it, everybody's fighting for something. You know, Charles Oliveira, despite running through a, a gauntlet like how he has, still the underdog in this fight, right? And then you have – uh Aljamain Sterling, who's the champ, but people don't really give him the respect that he deserves. You have TJ Dillashaw still trying to shed the labels that have been put on him. You have Peter Yan, who's trying to avenge uh, or, or bring himself back from the dead. And then you have Sean O'Malley, who wants to shut everybody up that thinks he, he doesn't belong where he is. Like There's such, there's so many good storylines of this card. It's amazing. I hope they're already all there and they've made their flights and there's no flight delays or visas, couldn't get out. You know, John Anik doesn't travel till Tuesday, but as far as the fighters, I've seen a lot of them already over there. So mm-hmm. that's kind of good news. But this is just, man, this is a beauty, a hell of a fight. 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific for the prelims. Pay-per-view starts at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. We'll be with you for the whole nine fights. From At least from whatever starts at 9 a.m., we'll be there. It's usually four fights from 9 to 11 Pacific. And then from 11 to 2 Pacific, those will be your pay-per-view. And so <laughs> as sick as that is, again, Char- Chucky Olives is, man, the reason, you know, I-, I listen to other shows as well from time to time. And sometimes you want to l- listen to uh, introspective takes and, you know, people that think outside the box. And sometimes people can just keep it simple. You know what Chucky Olives does, goes? He mm. takes He takes risks. And that's what Michael Chandler yeah. does. And those fighters that take risks, they're usually pretty damn exciting, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why I'm, that's why a lot of us are all uh, are all about them. No offense to GSP, um, Habib, you know, they kind of had their certain styles or whatever, but they weren't the biggest sellers at the gate at the at the box office. Well, maybe Habib was because of Connor, but and I got to throw Connor in that mix mix as well. As soon as Connor walks out, he's in your face, man. You know, he's in your face and he's and it really just kind of looks like the the fights you've seen all your life, whether it was at the stadium, at school, at the park, at the club or whatever, just, you know, makes people watch. Yeah. I mean, he's superseded expectations. Like, I, I can't honestly, when you bring up all of pro sports, man, you got to give Connor his props in those regards. Like the barriers that he's broken that's like it's it's borderline muhammad ali stuff you know the way people would talk about him and just how you didn't have to be a fight fan to know who the hell he was connor's kind of become one of those people now hopefully things get back on track for the kid and we can talk about him for for more years to come well the life of me i don't understand why either muhammad mukayev and malcolm gordon or Bilal muhammad and sean brady isn't yeah. On the pay-per-view. Caitlin Chukagan and Manon Fioral. If Chukagan has it her way, she's going to take her down. And it's going to be a long night for Fioral. Right? And if she can keep it standing, then okay, maybe we'll have something here. Fioral is definitely in the running, just like Alexa Grasso is. Just like um, uh, the young lady that, that, that just lost to uh, Valentina Shashenko. I always blank on her name. Santos. Mm. Yeah. So there's a few fighters that are in the running, you know, but Chukagin is, she's never, she's never gotten a finish. They're all, they're all decisions in the UFC. Right. So we'll see. I I wouldn't have put that on the, on the main card of the sickest card of the year. I wouldn't have put that a view. Would you? No, I think the Muhammad fight deserved to be up there. Last question. Then we'll get out. Um, Who is in the lead 
Santos versus Shevchenko 2, Grasso versus Shevchenko, or the winner of this fight, especially if it's Ferrol, you know, who represents France versus Shevchenko. No, the rematch is in the running. You That's can't candidate. Yeah, yeah, that was way too close. You you got to do. You got to run that back. Yeah, I think Grasso may have made a mistake by saying, "I'll take one other one," and mm-hmm. then that one because a you may lose that other one. B Santos is hurt, so why not slip in now? I think she did make a mistake, but she also didn't. And I think we're going to elaborate a little bit on that tomorrow. On spinning back click. So if you get this early, we are going to be doing spinning back click live. Check out that franchise. We always tell you about it. Spinning back click live, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, where we're going to have uh, a longer show, a similar format to what we do, but more time to breathe. Each topic will have more time to breathe couple little bells and whistles maybe an added segment or extra couple questions that we can tie in along with you all that want to participate in the chat so please check it out spread the word tomorrow spinning back click monday so mondays all mondays going forward noon eastern 9 a.m pacific all right with that we're going to get on out of here yeah dodgers lost that one was a tough one usc's no longer undefeated that one's a tough one niners are three and three what's your record the commanders do you know two and four Four and two, two or, and four, or two and five now, I think. Wait, yeah, yeah two and four. Um, so what are you gonna do? You can't win them all, man. You tied, drew, whatever. But man, I just love how sports is just everywhere out there. Uh, of course, when it comes to MMA, we'll be here to cover it. So thank you as always for your support. Go out and be a champion. We'll see you soon. going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.